Welcome to the podcast at Chesbro Baptist Church. This morning's message, we're going to be in Numbers chapter 11, and we're going to talk about the children of Israel. The children of Israel were so frustrating to God, but you know, we have a lot more in common with them than you think. Please enjoy. take your Bibles this morning and turn to Numbers chapter 11, Numbers chapter 11, Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11 this morning and uh, sun is shining, great day out. Good day to be in the house of God. All right, Numbers chapter 11. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet in respect and reverence to the Word of God one last time. We're going to read one verse, pray, and then sit back down. The Bible says in Numbers chapter 11 and verse number 1, Now the people became like those who complain of adversity in the hearing of the Lord. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, And the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. The title of the message this morning is The Curse of Complaining. The Curse of Complaining. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would seek with be with us this morning. I pray that you'd get all the distractions out of our minds, Lord, and and let us leave those outside of this building. And let us just focus this morning on what the Word of God has for us and what the Holy Spirit is here to teach us and just open us to receive your truth and your Word this morning. Thank you for what you've done for us. Be with our service. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. What if your kids came to you and said, Mom, Dad, I love you. I love you, Mom. I love you, Dad. But there's just a couple of things about my life that I'm not too happy with. Mom and Dad, I love you, but this bed that you've given me is kind of bumpy. It's kind of lumpy. I know you, you spend a lot of money on it. I know it's the best bunk bed that money can buy, but uh, it's kind of bumpy and uh, it's kind of lumpy and it's not that comfortable. Mom and Dad, I'll tell you, the, the food that you give me, it's okay, but it's not my favorite. Sometimes you cook things that I don't like to eat and it, it's just not my favorite. And, and, and what if your kids came to you and they said, you know what, this... This brother that you've given me, um, he's okay. He gets on my nerves a little bit. He gets on my nerves, and uh, he's okay, but I don't know why you make me play with him. He gets on my nerves a a little bit. And and, and mom and dad, the, the, the toys that you give me, and they're okay, but it's not really what I wanted. It, it's not really what I wanted. And and they told you they loved you, and they praised you for who you are, but then they complained about every single thing in their life. 
then that would make, what would that make their praise? That would make their praise empty and that would make their praise hollow because they just complain about every single little thing in their life. I'm here to tell you today, Christian, we do that with God. We do that with God. God, I love you. You're great. You're mighty. You're wonderful. I praise you, God. I love you, God. And I, we praise him for who he is and say we love him, but God, I don't like where you've put me. God, I don't like where you've put me. I don't like who you've put me with. I don't like what you're doing in my life. I don't like what you're doing in my job. I don't like what you're doing in my state. I don't like what you're doing in my country. I don't like what you're doing here in my life. God, I love you, but you're not doing a great job. God, I love you, but I've got some things to complain about. What if we went through your life and for the last month, we gathered every text that you sent. We gathered every Facebook post that you made, every tweet that you tweeted. We, we have a transcript of every, uh, of every phone conversation that you've had over the last month, because the government's got that anyway. And, but, but what you didn't know is that you've been bugged and every conversation you've had for the last month, we're going to put it all into a, into a transcript and we're going to read it all. And I think we'd be surprised how many times in a month we actually complain. I think we'd be very surprised over a month's time how many times we complain. I mean, we complain about everything. Man, this grocery store line is so long. They've got 10 checkouts and only two are open. Man, this waiter's taking me so long to bring my ketchup. I had to eat three french fries without ketchup today. And we can find a way to complain about free Wi-Fi. Man, this Wi-Fi is so slow. Well, number one, everybody in the restaurant's using it. And number two, it's got to go to space and back. Give it some time. But you see, here's the thing. If we're not careful... We can find reasons to complain about God. If we're not careful, man, we can find those reasons. God, I love you. But uh, this weather, it's not that great. But you know what? When it's hot, we want it to be cold. And when it's cold, we want it to be hot. You know? And... And but we say, but God, I love you. My mind picture is home alone, too, when they're standing in the, we love you. For those of you that got that, good. For those of you who didn't get it, I apologize. But listen, if we're not careful, no matter where God puts us and what God does in our lives, we will find a way to complain. We will find a way to gripe. We will find a way to murmur. We will find a way to bellyache. We will find a way to complain about God. God, you're wonderful, but can you do something about my job? God, you're mighty, but can you do something about my house? Can you do something about these bills that I 
have to pay? Can you do something about this church? Can you do something about that pastor? And we can just always find things to complain about COVID, the elections, and we complain and we gripe and we bellyache and we murmur over and over again. Go back to Numbers 11. We're going to look through this chapter this morning. We're going to look through this chapter. The first thing we're going to do is I want us to get the flavor of what's going on in this chapter. So what we're going to do is this morning we're going to read the first 15 verses of this chapter. Because we need to get the flavor of what's going on here. I mean, I know how dare we read the Bible in church. But we're going to chapter 11, we're going to read the first 15 verses of chapter 11. Now the people became like those who complain of adversity in the hearing of the Lord. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. The people therefore cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and fire died out. So the name of that place was called Taborah, because the fire of the Lord burned among them. The rabble who were among them had greedy desires, and also the sons of Israel wept, wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish, the fish which we used to eat free in Egypt, and the cucumbers, and the melons, and the leeks, and the onions, and the garlic, but now our appetite is gone. There is nothing at all to look at except this manna. Now the manna was like the coriander seed, and its appearance was like that of bdellium. The people would go out about and gather it and grind it between two millstones or beat it in the mortar and boil it in the pot and make cakes with it. And its taste was as the taste of cakes baked with oil. When the dew fell upon the camp at night, the manna would fall with it. Now Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, each man at the doorway of his tent, and his anger of the Lord was kindled greatly, and Moses was displeased. So Moses said to the Lord, Why have you been so hard on your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight? that You have laid the burden of all this people on me. Was it I who conceived all these people? Was it I who brought them forth that you should say to me, carry them into your bosom as a nurse, nurse carries a nursing infant to the land which you swore to their fathers? Where am I to get the meat to give all this people? For they weep before me saying, give us meat that we may eat. I alone am not able to carry all this people because it is too burdensome for me. So if you're going to deal thus with me, please kill me. Moses is like, kill me, kill me now. At once, if I have found favor in your sight, and do not let me see my wretchedness. What I want to talk about this morning is I want to talk about the negative effects of complaining for the child of God. The negative effects of complaining for the child of God. Complaining is natural. Contentment is spiritual. Complaining is natural. Contentment is supernatural. Okay? And what we're going to talk about is discontentment in the life of a Christian. 
discontentment. And what I've got is I've got six observations from the text this morning. If you're a note taker, I've got six observations. Observation number one, complaining bothers God. Complaining bothers God. Uh, Verse 1, now the people became like those who complain of adversity and the hearing of the Lord. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled. Skip down to verse number 10. Now Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, each man at the doorway of his tent, and the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly. Simply put, when we complain, God is displeased. When we complain, it bothers God. Philippians 2.14 says, Do all things without grumbling and disputing. Did you hear that verse? didn't say do some things. It says do all things. It doesn't say just the things you like to do. No, it says even, even the stuff you like to do, the stuff you don't like to do, not some stuff. Do all things without grumbling, without complaining, without bellyaching, without murmuring. Because complaining and grumbling and bellyaching and murmuring, whatever you want to call it, It bothers God, it displeases God, and God does not like it. And it doesn't matter the shape, and it doesn't matter the form, it doesn't matter, God does not like it. So even when our kids complain, I've told y'all this story before, but it fits my message, I'm going to tell it again. When I was a kid, I was at my grandpa's house, I was at my papa's house, and my uncles were there with the plumbing truck, and my Uncle Bobby Sterling, he heard me say, I was bored. I said, man, I'm bored. He said, bored? Brent Martin, are you bored? He said, follow me. He went out to the plumbing truck and he got me a shovel and he brought me over to the yard. And I said, I want you to dig a ditch from there to there. And I was out there for an hour digging the ditch. When I got done digging the ditch, I came back to him and he said, now go out there and cover it back up. I went out there and it didn't take me as long to cover it up as it took me to dig the ditch, but I covered the ditch back up. I went back in to my Uncle Bob and he said, Brett, are you still bored? And I said, no, (laughs) no. Even if I was bored, I wasn't about to tell him. And I never said I was bored ever again. I learned my lesson that day. You see, when we grumble and we, when we complain and when we murmur, what we're really saying to God is we're saying, God, I don't like your plan for my life. My plan for my life is better than your plan for my life. It's better And what we're saying when we complain is we're saying, God, I'm wiser than you. God, I'm wiser than you. I know better because I wouldn't have done it this way. And I'm going to let you know that I wouldn't have done it this way. And I know, I know that we would never dare say those words out loud. We would never dare say with the lips of our mouth, God, I'm wiser than you. But just because you wouldn't say that with the lips of your mouth doesn't mean that you don't say it with your actions. Because actions speak louder than words. And all the time, we constantly, with our actions, we tell God, God, I am wiser than you. I know more than you. Your plan is not working out. My plan would, would be better. And we tell God that with our actions. 
Church, are you displeasing God today with your attitude? Your attitude of ingratitude. Are you displeasing God today? 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything, give thanks. In some things, no. In everything. But what about the stuff I don't like? It doesn't matter. Everything covers the stuff you don't like. In everything, give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Let me tell you a little secret about 1 Thessalonians 5.18. There's no exception clause to that verse. There's no parentheses under the verse that says, In everything give thanks except for this thing, except for this subject, except for this thing that you're really, really passionate about. There's no, ex ex there's no exception clause for this verse. In everything give thanks. And like I said, that word everything, it covers the stuff I don't want to thank God for. There are some phone calls that I get that I don't feel like thanking God for. I don't feel like thanking God for them, okay? There are some things that don't go my way, that don't go the, the way I planned them, that I don't feel like thanking God for. There are... Uh, there are prayers that weren't answered the way I wanted them answered. They, they were answered because even no was an answer. But they weren't answered the way I wanted them answered. I don't feel like thanking God for that sometimes. I really don't. And then in my business life, in my personal life, in my, in my politics, sometimes things don't go the way I want them to go. And when that happens, I don't feel like thanking God for it. But that's God's will for me. Black and white, in the Bible, there it is. Thank God in everything. That's what the scripture says. Number two this morning, complaining burdens our leaders. Complaining burdens our leaders. Verse 11. So Moses said to the Lord, why have you been so hard on your servant? You know what that basically is saying? He's saying, God, what did I ever do to you? God, what did I ever do to deserve this? And why have I not found favor in your sight? That you have laid the burden of all these people on me. I think it's kind of comical what he says in verse 12. Was it I who conceived all these people? He's saying, God, these are your kids, not mine. Have you ever said to your spouse, come get your son? Oh, all of a sudden it's my son. Yeah, because he's acting just like you. He's acting just like you. And uh, so, you know, that, that's basically what he's saying here. Was it I who brought them forth? that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing infant to the land which you swore to their fathers. He's like, God, this is your people. God, this was your promise that you made. I don't know how I got roped into this. And basically he's saying, how long do I have to run this daycare? How long do I have to run this daycare? 
Verse 13, where am I to get the meat to give all these people? For they weep before me saying, give us meat that we may eat. And he's saying, where in the world am I going to get all these groceries? And if you've got some teenagers in your house, you say the same thing. Where am I to get and get all these groceries from? And Moses is saying, where am I going to get all this spam from? And, and look, praise God for, for fried spam on a biscuit with some mayonnaise and a slice a tomato. Hey, man, it's good stuff right there. But you know what he's saying? Where am I going to get all this stuff? And then in verse 14, it gets a little serious. I alone am not able to carry all this people because it is too burdensome for me. So if you're going to deal thus with me, please kill me. At once. You know, sometimes we say that jokingly. Lord, just kill me. Kill me now. Moses wasn't joking. He wasn't joking. If I have found favor in your sight, do not let me see my wretchedness. He's saying, God, if this is what your plan for my life, if this is your calling for my life, just take me to heaven now. Just take me to heaven now. Let me ask you a question. Was Moses called to be the leader of those people? Was he undeniably called of God to be the leader of those people? Well, if you think back, there was a burning bush. There was a bush that was on fire, but it was not consumed. A verse, a, a voice came out of that, that bush that said, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground, go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. If they who said who sent you, you say, I am hath sent you. So he was called. This is the same Moses that, that was with God through the ten plagues of Egypt. This is the same Moses that walked across the Red Sea on dry ground. He was undeniably called of God to lead these people. And what Moses is saying here, who's undeniably called of God to be the leader of these people, he's saying, God, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can do it. Why was this man, who is undeniably called of God to be the leader of these people, say, man, why, why did he doubt the call of God on his life? Because of his own weakness? No, that was already dealt with. That was dealt, back, dealt that back when he told God that he stuttered. So God sent him Aaron to speak for him, and then Aaron never said a word. So he's already dealt with his weakness. So what's going on here? Why is he doubting himself here? It was because of the murmuring and complaining of the people he served with. The murmuring and complaining of the people that he served with. Complaining at church burdens our spiritual leaders. And I'm not the only leader in this church. I may be the pastor, but I'm not the only leader here. Okay? Complaining at church burdens our spiritual leaders. Complaining at work burdens our leaders. Complaining at home burdens the leaders of the home. You know, you can cause people to question God's leading in their life. Did you know that? We can cause people to question God's leading in their lives. 
Now, let me ask you a question. Ask yourself, Christian, is your complaining spirit, is it, is it a burden to those you serve with? Is your complaining spirit a burden to those around you? Is your complaining spirit a burden to those you love? Young people, listen to me, young people. Is your negative complaining spirit a burden to your parents? Every time your parents tell you to do something, do you complain? Are you negative about it? Do you huff and puff and stomp? Do you? That's a burden to your parents. It really is. Number three, complaining blinds us to the miraculous. Complaining blinds us to the miraculous. Verse number four, the rabble who were among them had greedy desires and also the sons of Israel wept again and said, who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we used to eat free in Egypt, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic, and it sounds like a crawfish bowl. But listen, do you remember what it says? It says, we remember how good it was in Egypt. Really? Really? All right, verse 6. But now our appetite is gone. There is nothing at all to look at. And these three words floor me. Except this manna. Those three words, they absolutely floor me. Look, manna is an amazing thing. Manna wasn't just going out to the front lawn and picking up a honey bun that fell out of the sky. Okay, it was more than that. What was manna? Manna was the miraculous, daily, supernatural provision of God. Manna was their daily, miraculous, supernatural provision for the people of God. Every day they rolled out of bed, they opened the flap of their tent, they walked out to the front lawn, and they said, God knows where I'm at. God knows what I need. And I can have faith and not worry because I can see that God is there. What's for breakfast? Go check the kitchen. There's nothing in the kitchen. Go check the cupboard. There's nothing in the cupboard. Go check the front lawn. Oh, there's manna right there. A miraculous daily supernatural provision for them. And it was out there day after day after day. And they didn't do anything for it. They had absolutely nothing to do, to, to, to do with it. But day after day after day, it was out there every single day. And what did they do? But now our appetite is gone. There is nothing at all to look on except this manna. God, you've never done anything for us. Well, except supernaturally, miraculously provide every need we've ever had. But other than that, you've never done anything for me. All I have is this manna. And it's amazing to me that they viewed a miracle of God with disgust. 
they viewed a miracle of God with disdain. Man, I hope I never get like that. I hope I can never look at a miracle of God and view it with disgust. They came to the point where they despised this supernatural provision. Church, before we get too hard on them, we do the exact same thing. We do the exact same thing. He saved me. Man, I was lost. I was on my way to hell. I was, I was burdened. I was, a, I was a slave to sin. I was a slave to this world. I was lost and I had no hope. And He saved me. He chose me. He called me. I had faith in Him. I accepted His Holy Spirit and it changed my life. Oh, but then He brought me in the church and He began to sanctify me. And I started to act different. And I started to think different. And man, I, I brought, I've come into this church. He gave me a place to worship. He gave me a faith family of God to worship with. He gave me a copy of His Word that I can read and day after day I can go to it and I can see what He has what He has for me. And then we look around one, five, ten years later and we say, God, you're not doing anything for me. When are you going to do something for me, God? You've never done anything for me, God except love me every day of my life, but we're not mentioning that. And, and we all have this stuff that God has given us, and then one day we say, nope, I'm done. I'm, I'm done with, with church. I'm done with Christianity. I'm done with being faithful to God because God's never done anything for me. Oh, God didn't do what you wanted him to do. But God has done plenty for you. God has done plenty for you. And every day you remind us of your love. But you didn't do anything for me, God. You didn't do anything for me. And dear church member, we do the same thing. God, you saved us. You cared for us. You blessed us. You protected us. You, you've given us your word. You've given us a church. You've given us our friends and our family and our health. And then we say to God, God, when are you going to do something in my life? When he's already given us all of that. And you know what they wanted? They just wanted something else on the menu. They just wanted some variety. And we too can become self-centered, selfish, spoiled Christians. We become spoiled Christians. I don't go to that church because they never did anything for me. That pastor never did anything for me. Those songs, they never did anything for me. But you know, complaining, all it does is it blinds us to the miraculous, but also it blinds us to how awesome God really is. And we don't see the daily provision as a miracle. I guess we get used to it. We get used to having access to a Bible. 
We get used to having the ability to freely go to a church. We get used to the ability to hit our knees and pray. We get used to the ability to, to be able to do all these things. And, and we get used to the fact that we have friends that love us and that we have a church family and that the Christian life is just so wonderful. But because what we wanted to happen didn't happen, oh, that's not worth doing anymore. So I'm going to go sit at the house. Interesting. Number four. Complaining blinds our vision of reality. Complaining blinds our vision of reality. We remember, verse 5, we remember the fish which we used to eat free in Egypt. A wise man once said, nothing's free. Nothing is free. But free in Egypt? Children of Israel, are you remembering this correct? Let me refresh your memory a little bit. Let me read a little bit out of Exodus, if I could, please, today. Exodus chapter 2 and verse 23. Now it came to pass in the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died, and the sons of Israel sighed because of the bondage. They cried out, and their cry for help because of their bondage rose up to God. Man, you remember life in Egypt? It was so free. Life was good. The pantry was full. Start market was doing good. Verse 24. So God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the sons of Israel and God took notice of them. Exodus 3, 7. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and had given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters. For I am aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from, to, from, from that land to a good spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Does it sound like the Israelites are remembering the story right? Because I just read that scripture and I didn't see the word free in there at all. But you know what I did see? I saw a lot of crying. I saw a lot of bondage. I saw a lot of suffering. I even saw a taskmaster in there. Man, it, it sounds like they're not remembering history right, are they? Have you ever been there? Man, it just seems like things have gotten harder since I started serving God. Man, it just seems like since I gave my life to God, things are just a little more difficult. And how quickly we forget how it really was. How quickly we forget the bondage that we were under. How quickly we forget the deliverance that God had for us. God, this, this isn't what I signed up for. Oh, you mean a church that loves you? A word of God that feeds you, that gives you power? Opportunities to serve in the ministry? Oh, life was better before I started serving God. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. You weren't free to do as you please. You were a slave. You were in bondage. How quickly we forget how it was. How quickly we forget. The greatest life, 
you will ever live is a life smack dab in the middle of the plan of God. I didn't say it was the easiest life. I said it was the greatest life. How quickly we forget what we were saved out of when we start to complain. Verse five, complain, uh, uh, number five, complaining brings God's judgment. Verse 18, say to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow and ye shall eat meat. For you have wept in the ears of the Lord, saying, Oh, that someone would give us meat to eat. For we were well off in Egypt. Therefore, eat. You shall eat. Not one day, nor two days, nor five days, nor ten days, nor twenty days, but a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils until it becomes loathsome to you because you've rejected the Lord who is among you and have wept before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? Be careful what you wish for. You might just get it. And God said, I'll give you what you want. But once you get it, you're going to see it's not what you wanted. Have you ever said that to your kids? I'll give you something to complain about. You want to complain? I'll give you something to complain about. You want to cry? I'll give you something to cry about. That's what God's saying here. Complaining brings judgment. Number six, complaining breeds doubt in God's ability in our lives. Complaining breeds doubt in God's ability in our lives. Verse 21. But Moses said, the people among whom I am are 600,000 on foot. Yet you have said, I will give them meat so that they may eat for a whole month. Should flocks and herds be slaughtered for them to be sufficient for them? Or should all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to be sufficient for them? The Lord said to Moses, is the Lord's power limited? Now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. And by the way, the word of the Lord always comes to pass. The word of the Lord always comes to pass. So what's going on here? Moses is doubting God's ability to do what God said he would do. Same Moses with the burning bush. Same Moses with the ten plagues. Same Moses that walked across the Red Sea on dry ground. Same Moses that's following a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. Same Moses who's eating three square meals of manna a day is doubting God's ability to give them meat. Why? Because of the murmuring and the complaining. They all started doubting God. Let me read this statement to you. When we focus on what we think God hasn't done, it causes us to believe he can't do what he says he will do. Let me read that again for you. When we focus on what, God, on what we think God hasn't done, it causes us to believe he can't do what he says he will do. When we start doubting God in our past, God, thinking back, I didn't like the way you handled that situation in my life. 
I think that was handled wrong. Remember that financial crisis, Lord? I think that, that, that was bad. That was, that was wrong. That shouldn't have happened. Oh, and, and you know, the election, Lord. Oh, oh, and that, that, that law that my state passed. And let me tell you something. Nothing good comes from complaining. Nothing good comes from griping. Nothing good comes from mumbling. Nothing good comes from belly aching. Some people, you don't even ask them how their day is going because you're going to get it. They're going to tell you exactly what's going on in their life. But we're all prone to do that, aren't we? All of us are prone to do that. Well, you've been very patient. You've listened to me. I've told you the problem. Now, very quickly, I'm going to give you a solution to the problem. This is a two-part solution. It's called the cure for complaining. And it's two parts. Here's part number one for the cure of complaining contentment contentment like i said at the beginning complaining is natural contentment is spiritual okay how did paul say it he said for i have learned to be content in whatever circumstances i am you know what that word learned tells me it tells me that it did not come natural to paul Contentment is something that Paul had to teach himself. And so to me and you. Contentment is not going to come natural. It's something you have to learn. Did you know that the New Testament gives us a two-point test for contentment? It gives us a two-point test for contentment. And before I go into that, you may say, Brett, you, you don't know what's going on in my life. You don't know the circumstances I've been through. You don't know what circumstances I'm in. How dare you tell me that I can be content? I'm not saying this. This is the Bible. This is the Scripture. I told somebody this morning, either the Scripture is our final authority in our life or it's not. You can't pick and choose. The Bible, the Bible gives us a two-point test for contentment. Number one, having food and, what's number two? Food and raiment, garments or whatever, clothing. Ra having food and raiment, therewith let us be content. Well, I'm looking around, I see everybody wearing clothes. Praise God. Praise God. Hey, man. I also see there's no problem with food. We got, we got that covered. So you know what that means? It means I can be content. That's the checklist right there. No matter what you're going through, your response is content. Your response is content. God, you are enough. But what about this situation over here? God is enough. But what about this news article over here? Christian says God is enough. Or what about what, what about what's come on? What, what, what about what so-and-so said on Facebook? God is enough for a Christian. And then number two, Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Thank him. For all he's done. 
Philippians 4.6 Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Don't be stressed out. Don't be worried. Don't be fearful about anything. But you know, he doesn't just say, go to God with your problems. He says, go to God with thanksgiving. Why? Why go to God with thanksgiving? Because when we stop and look back about how faithful he's been, that will give us faith to face today. Thanksgiving will. This is such an ungrateful society we live in. So ungrateful. No gratitude whatsoever. But you know, we're, we all get guilty of it. Why? Because we're humans. You know what humans like to do? Focus on the problem right in front of us. We've got tunnel vision. And we only want to look at the problem that's staring us right in the face. But part of the solution is being content and being thankful. And what you can do is you can say, God, I am X number of years old. And for every one of those years, for every one of those years, you've been faithful. You've proved yourself year after year after year. You've met my needs. You've given me food. You've given me clothes. You've given me a copy of your word. I, 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 have, I live in a country where I have the freedom to assemble. You know, and when we see God's faithfulness in the past, it, it helps us have faith for the future. Now look, you can look at the landscape of our country and be fearful. I mean, you've got the government, you've got pandemic, you've got all this stuff. But let me, let me give you a fact today. God's people have been through a lot worse. We think we have it bad in America, as in America as Christians. We don't know what bad is. Even today, we have no clue. God's people have been through a lot worse than what we've been through today. Now look, I know you're going through a struggle. I know you're going through a trial. But you know what? I guarantee you, He's brought someone else through circumstances a lot worse than you've ever faced. I guarantee you that. For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. In everything, give thanks. Christian, don't fall for the curse of complaining. <laughs>